This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. It just hit a point of desperation where I stopped praying for myself and the situation, and I started praying more so for my my family and my friends, because I really didn't think I was going to get out of there. Like, I really didn't at all think I was going to get out of there. Like, I was praying for my mama not to hate the river and to try to understand my love for it. You know, and it was, it was super desperate. For our last episode of 2022, we come to you from the anniversary of a river rescue deemed the Midnight Miracle. On September 20 of this year, 2022, I spent the day at Kanawha Falls on the Kanawha River in West Virginia. I was with Sam Davis, a kayaker familiar with this place, this river, and these falls. On the same day, two years prior, September 20 of the year 2020, this kayaker, Sam Davis, ran this waterfall alone, and almost immediately entered into a seven-hour fight for his life. I had heard about this story when it happened in 2020, but had no real context to put it together, no real understanding of his experience or what the falls and the river looked like. While I was in West Virginia for Golly Fest, my friend Mark Mueller tuned me back into this rescue, and from there, my experiences kept leading me towards the story. And then a few evenings later at the Burrito Bar in Fayetteville, West Virginia, A new friend pointed out Sam Davis telling me that he was the kayaker who was rescued. After being introduced and talking with Sam, he let me know that the next day was the second year anniversary of his rescue at Kanawha Falls, and he told me that the next day he was going to run the falls for the first time since that rescue. You can probably guess what I asked next. Can I go with you and record the day and have you tell me the story? He said yes. And so we begin at the boat ramp of Kanawha Falls as Sam is getting into his kayak to paddle across to the falls and run the waterfall for the first time since his rescue. It is a, a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. It's not too hot. Almost bluebird skies. You know, I'm, and I'm excited. It looks like there's a lot of boaters on the water. I just talked to a group of guys from Canada in the parking lot that have never been here and gave them some beta. You come here like later in the season, like golly season in October. It's like real pretty down in here. You get to run waterfalls and you're just surrounded by a bowl of color, you know? I don't know if y'all saw it or not, but there was a rescue here yesterday. A girl got trapped in the pocket, even at low water um, over there, and they couldn't ferry her out above the undercut, so they had to rope her up and out. But somebody's like anchored in support bolts because of what happened to me, you know? So, and I already knew that spot was bad. I helped rescue somebody out of that spot in 2017 at low water, you know? It was like their first time running a waterfall ever. So it was super low, and they still ended up over there, but. Yeah, I, I don't know, it's a bad spot. It like, at least encourages me that something positive came out of like, everything I had to go through, that like, now there's some kind of infrastructure for that spot, you know? Which is cool. Me and Corey had always talked about, go, like, bolting it, me and Corey Lily, so it was cool to see that somebody else took the initiative and did it. 
Kanawha Falls is a super cool, very unique river and geologic feature. It is a natural waterfall on the Kanawha River, and the Kanawha River forms when the Gauley River and the New River confluence about one mile upstream. The Kanawha River eventually flows into the Ohio River about 90 miles downstream. The average annual flow in the Kanawha River is about 15,000 CFS, and over the past two years, it has had a low of about 1,800 CFS and a high of about 100,000 CFS. The day of the rescue, September 20, 2020, the flows were about 10,500 CFS. At Kanawha Falls, the river is about a quarter of a mile wide. The falls is a rock outcrop that goes all the way across this river, essentially a short cliff band across the river. It is almost like a natural dam on the river. The cliff band across the river varies in height. I'm guessing from about 12 feet to maybe 25 feet in places. This river-wide cliff that creates the falls only has waterfalls in some spots. Some parts of the cliff are dry and folks can walk around on them. And that changes at different water levels. Humans built a river-wide check dam just above the falls that now diverts flows into the river right where there is a building, a powerhouse, Water still flows over this check dam all the way across the river and then over the cliffs creating the waterfalls. It is worth looking at images of this place. On the River Radius Instagram, we have images and videos, and you can search it online and on Google Earth. Kanawha Falls, spelled K-A-N-A-W-H-A, looks like Kanawha, pronounced Kanawha. Once y'all kind of approached me last night, it kind of, I was already like planning to do it, but it kind of made it more official. And then I was more comfortable bringing it up to other people at the bar. Um, and that's why there's like 15 people out there now. You guys can anchor your raft there and we'll walk up the rock and look at it. I'll have to walk my boat up there if I'm to run it anyway. But that's where you walk up to look. Sam paddles across to the falls and I hop in a raft with my friends Amy and Ryan and we paddle across to join Sam. We tie up our boat and climb up the path. I asked Sam his name and to tell us about himself a bit and then to tell us about that day two years ago. Sam Davis for work. I, I freelance production, so I do mostly sports broadcast with ESPN and ABC, uh, a lot of SEC specifically. So, yeah, I, I do that. But, I mean, I'll do any kind of freelance production. If you want to pay me 16 hours for a mayonnaise commercial, I'm your guy. Tell me about how the day began. You were at Golly Fest, and you get done running the Golly. Is that right? And then you decide to come this way? Yeah, I was in my RPM Max, and I had – one of my best days, if not my best day ever, on the upper golly. Like, my lines were just impossibly good for how good of a boater I am. And it was fun, and I paddled with so many different groups of people. You know, because you get out and you stop, and maybe you're still stopping, and you're talking to someone you haven't seen in forever, and your group wants to keep going. So then you're with a new group. And I paddled with so many different people that day, and it was just it was beautiful, and it was wonderful. And I was supposed to meet some other folks over here, uh, to do Kanawha Falls, but they uh, kind of were like showing some first-timers down the golly and some other logistical issues, but they really got their time eaten away. 
So by the time off, they got off the river, they were they were out of time and they were ready to go home and they didn't really have time to come down here. I had been down here for like an hour, hour and a half waiting and I kind of got fed up of waiting. So I just was like, you know, I've run this over like 50, 60 times. Like I've got this, it'll be fine. I ran this drop and I didn't have a very good line and I was really, really, really far left more than I wanted to be. And I was like, I think I can really run a more like aggressive line and really boof out. When Sam first got to the parking lot at Kanawha Falls the day he got trapped, he saw another person there in the parking lot while he was unloading his boat from his van. It was a guy taking his drone out, flying it around, getting video of various places below and above the falls. His name is Brandon Richmond. Uh, my name is Brandon Richmond. Well, I live in Hurricane. Uh, it's about an hour and 20 minutes away from Kanawha Falls where, where this all happened that day. And... Uh, I brought my drone, and I'd, I'd known that uh, they were basically draining Hawk's Nest Lake. And, you know, they were exposing the tunnel you know, for the first time. And I thought, well, you know, I'll take the drone up there, and I'll fly it down there and, you know, see if I can take a look at the tunnel, you know, yada, yada. So we went up there, spent the day, and uh, as I was getting the drone and walking down to the ramp, I uh, saw this guy in a in a white van and he was getting his boat off the top of the van and i kind of nodded at him and you know thought well hey when this guy gets in the water i know what he's here for because i see people do those drops all the time i was like i know why he's here i was like i will uh i'll follow him out and get some cool drone footage and uh you know then maybe you know when uh when i get back i'll i'll give him my number and uh i'll send it to him you know i thought that'd be pretty cool so so uh we see him paddling out and you know i'm with the drone on the other side of the falls and, you know, getting some good footage. And my dad was like, Hey, that kayaker, uh, he's, he's over there. He's getting ready to do that drop. He's like, see if you can follow him down. I was like, all right. So I kind of hover over him and, uh, you know, never thinking that, that it would be any significance whatsoever, you know? So I'm kind of hovering over and I follow him over the drop and then I, you know, fly it out and, and get some more footage and never thought anything else of it. So I, I gave him my business card and I said, Hey, I've got some pretty cool footage of you. Uh, give me a shout and I'll send it to you. While Brandon had put the note on Sam's van about the drone footage, they did not talk after that initial nod of hello in the parking lot. They did not know each other. Sam ran the falls once and Brandon got drone footage of that first run and then Brandon was done. Sam wanted to run the falls again and do it better, have a cleaner line. So he paddled the short distance to the hike above the falls, got out of his boat, hiked up, got back in his boat above the falls, and ran the falls again. No one saw Sam run the falls this time. It did not work. Plain and simple. I mean, I, my stern got caught up, and then it threw my bow down as I was going over the booth because my stern was so engaged, and I melted, and then I back-entered into a cartwheel in the curtain. It was so high, and carped my first roll trying to get up on the boils, and by the time I was coming up on the second one, I was like mostly up and I slammed into the wall and was going under it. So. An, uh, an undercut. Yeah, into the undercut. The, the undercut we are sitting on currently, um, actually, is maybe 35 to 40 foot of water sweeping under the uh, a 35 to 40 foot range of this rock. 20 foot of that, much worse than the other half. And that's where I went under. And, I spent a long time under there. I, I don't know how long. Is that 45 seconds a minute? I expended a lot of energy, so it could have seemed like a lot longer than it was. 
uh, it was long enough that I was seeing purple when I came out and everything was in a haze and I, you know, I was spitting out water and trying not to pass out. And that was, yeah, that was horrible. The day that Sam got trapped behind the falls, the overall river flow was higher than normal and higher than the day that we were there recording. And that larger flow was influential in Sam being stuck behind the falls. There were two influences on the flow that day. One was the Gauley bubble. That means the release from Summersville Reservoir into the Gauley River for recreational flows was hitting Kanawha Falls. The second influence was a large rainstorm in the mountains that was about two days flow upriver from Kanawha Falls, and that flow was hitting the falls at the same time that Sam was there. This made the waterfall larger in overall volume, and more importantly, made the waterfall wider. This waterfall is about 15 feet of free-falling water from top to bottom, and is about 35 feet wide under normal flows. And when Sam was trapped, it was about 65 feet wide and growing. The, the waterfall today is contained in this lower pocket. But you're saying that the day that you came over, it extended all the way over here. And it didn't initially. It was kind of filling in that crack between the two fail spots. And it got higher once I was in the water dealing with everything I was dealing with. And it got higher still once I even got to the ledge after the first hour and a half and was back in the corner. The veil grew as I was fighting behind it. And it was growing as I was treading water because it got to where I was swimming into it. So I wouldn't swim into the undercut and the veil would plug me super deep and then I'd pop back up in that circulative eddy behind the curtain back there. Because you, you would just get showered by the veil and just pound you. Oh, I mean, it'd shove you six feet down and then you'd come back up. I mean, it's 20 foot of distance where water's flowing over you know but it was either that or like risk getting sucked down in that seam which would push me into the undercut so I was like actively swimming really hard to try to go into the veil because I just didn't want to go under that wall again that wall's horrible you know and like my boat came out of one side of the wall and I came out of the underside of the wall and I roofed out like five times in there so you never know like what could be under there or how deep it is like to really, really now. I mean, we're literally sitting on top of where I could have been underneath at some point, you know. What does is, what is, what is roofed out mean? Like, you get super disoriented by the current, super loud, washing machine effect. You feel the release because you've gone deep and you think you're coming up and out, and then your helmet roofs out. Like on, You're underwater. Right, you you're the, under the rock. You're still under there. And then the current and the turbulence catches you again because you're up by the rock. You're closer to where the water's entering the feature, trying to fill all the empty spaces. Um, and that happened five times before I came out. When I came out, I had like a purple haze on everything. I, I was trying not to pass out, treading in the water. And I really didn't kind of get my head on me real good until the second, third, fourth time I got recirculated through. and. I did go back under the undercut on one of those for like another 15, 10 seconds because I just went under the very edge of it. I was trying so hard to get away and I went under the edge and then popped back up on the wrong side. And that's when I was like, I'm not going under that rock again because I can't risk it. And I just started swimming actively towards the veil that was forming over here on the side. You know, but yeah, it was definitely it was fight or flight in so many different ways. You know, like I, I really like balanced the scales and had to like, like it really put into like perspective, like the fragility of my own mortality. 
Jack's Plastic Welding is sponsoring today's episode. Jack's Plastic has several boats on significant discount. These boats are seconds with small blemishes. They have whitewater cat tubes, expedition cat tubes, and a small raft for one person that can get down about 200 CFS. Prices do not include shipping. There is a link in today's show notes taking you direct to these boats. You can also click on Discounted on their homepage and see the boats. Jack's Plastic Welding is where I've gotten my cat tubes, my dry bags, and my Paco pad for the past 15 years. You can find them on the web at www.jpwinc.com. Tell them the River Radius sent you. Nissan has a lot of trucks and cars to choose from. Today, we're going to look at their newly updated Frontier midsize truck. And in the middle of this episode, we're going to talk about their fully electric vehicles. The Nissan Frontier, this is a midsize four-wheel drive truck. It has a new look for 2022. Check it out. It's pretty sharp looking. This Nissan Frontier comes in two styles. They have the crew cab with four doors and a short or a long bed. Or they have the king cab model with a long bed. What is important to me in a truck is how much weight it can carry and pull. And what I really mean is, can the truck get me and a stack of riverboats and my river friends to the boat ramp? Does it drive and feel safe? And can it keep those speeds steady when we're driving uphill with all that load? That's my criteria. This new Nissan Frontier has a 6-cylinder, 310-horsepower engine with a 9-speed transmission. That's providing a lot of power and a lot of smooth shifting of gears. And this truck can carry about 12 to 1,600 pounds in the truck, and it can pull a trailer with about 6,200 pounds of total weight. In riverboat terms, that is several boats and frames and boxes and coolers, all your dry bags and your water jugs that are full. Check out your Denver area Nissan dealers in person and online at www.nissanusa.com. Tell them the River Radius Podcast sent you. While Sam was under and in this waterfall and working to save himself, his red kayak was floating out front of the falls and was barely visible from the boat ramp across the wide, flat area below the falls. It was evening in September, and the light was slowly fading. This riverwide feature is a popular place for West Virginians to check out, to spend time at. Shortly after Sam swam out of his boat and was recirculating in and out of the falls, Felicia Coiner and her boyfriend pulled into the parking lot of the falls and went to the water's edge to do some fishing. My name is Felicia Coiner. I live in Charleston, West Virginia. Charleston is probably 45 minutes from Canal Falls. So we had been to Summersville fishing all day, and we were in flatwater kayaks, and then went to Fayetteville, had dinner, and then... Uh, on the way back, we decided to stop at Kanawha Falls to fish for a little bit. It was uh, approximately 6.25 when we got to Kanawha Falls. Beautiful day, spur of the moment, stop. And as soon as we got there, uh, we saw a red kayak floating upside down at the bottom of a falls. And it just kept circulating. Um, it was probably 75 yards from where we were fishing. There were a couple of fishermen people there that were uh, had been there. So I went over and asked them, I said, you know, do you all see that kayak? And they couldn't see it. And they said, yeah, I think there was a guy that was kayaking that earlier, but he left. So we're not sure where that kayak came from. So after watching it for a few minutes, 
I called 911 and was told that they had already received a call and that DNR was on their way. So I just kept circulating, kept circulating. Yeah, I mean, it got desperate. I definitely, like, that was an hour and a half long process of circulating in that water. I'd cling on to the overhanging rock that had the new veil forming over the top. So it was rapidly becoming a cave behind there. And I would crimp to the rock, but there weren't many places to hold on. The current was recirculating so strongly at that high water level that it was making me even more lactic after a while to pull off. But at least I was lactic, not swimming towards an undercut or a really scary amount of water. And I really didn't want to go back under that undercut. So I was getting on the wall when I could or trying to get my legs up underneath it where it's slightly undercut on the overhang down there and try to just get my legs somewhere where I could pin them in. And I couldn't really. And it got really desperate. Um, I cried, I screamed. I screamed, I cried. <laughs> But then I realized it wasn't doing any good and I kind of buttoned back down and it got really serious. So after, it seemed like about an hour, uh, we were getting ready to leave. And so we go up in the parking lot and there's just a couple vehicles there. And I noticed this van that had a kayak license plate and, he, and it was from Tennessee. And instantly I saw straps from the top of the van down, you know, as if there had been a kayak on top. I instantly knew it was this guy, you know. So I start trying to look in the van to see if the guy was inside the van. And I walked around uh, around the van and saw this note on the passenger side window that basically said, Hey, got an awesome drone video of your first drop. I'll email it to you. Text me at, you know, tell this telephone number. So I called the number, uh, asked him about the the kayak and the kayaker, and told him what was going on. Never thought anything else of it. And we get home about an hour and a half, hour and forty five minutes later, and. Uh, I got a call from a strange number and uh, it, she sounded pretty panicked and she said, Hey, uh, there was a boat that washed ashore up here at Canal Falls. And we just wanted to see if it's, it may be related to uh, the note you left on this guy's van. Cause they said, you know, it's getting dark. This is the only van in the parking lot. Uh, they said, we'll send you a picture of the, of the boat and tell us if it's the same one. And the boat was pretty un, un unmistakable, you know? And, uh, as soon as we saw it, I was like, man, my heart sank. And I was like, no way. Like that's that, you know, you automatically go to the worst case scenario. And it's like, oh no, that is not good. And with the size of the water up there, it's, it's pretty scary. So, uh, it was upside down and I guess his van was still there. So we thought, oh, this is, this is not good. And he said, man, you know, the guy was alone. His kayak was red. And he told me that the last time he had seen him was about 625. I hung up, called 911 back again and said, I'm pretty sure someone's in trouble. You know, please get help here immediately. And I'm going to wait until help arrives. And the dispatcher told me that she had sent someone there and that they had found the kayak and it was tied to a tree. 
And I said, I'm still looking at it, and it's in the water. You know, we need help. So we left it, or you said you, you cried, you screamed, and it was getting desperate, and you decided to get serious. Yeah, it just kind of, like, realized that I wasn't doing any good. I realized, like, I'm going to die here if I don't do something different than what I'm doing right now. And so I, I knew I had a carabiner and an extra piece of webbing in my uh, PFD, but I there's nothing to clip into, and so I'm trying to hold on to these crimps in the rock and look for anything that can work, and I saw an old railroad tie that was barely sticking out, you know, and I'm like, why is that there? No idea. But all I knew was, like, maybe I could get a carabiner around it, and I couldn't. There's no way to rig it on there, but it made me realize that it was in a crack, and so I kind of utilized the same crack that was it was in and kind of beside it, and, like, hammered with my fist while holding on with one arm and holding on with the one arm was uh was really 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 exhausting like after the whole night was over i had a bunch of uh like muscle tears and muscle tissue damage and i had to drink like 20 bottles of water for like a week so i like my kidneys wouldn't shut down trying to pass all the lactic acid you know i I was tore up and the worst of it was from that moment where I was holding on trying not to get ripped off my crimp by the current while pounding with my fist trying not to drop and lose this carabiner and this webbing and my my whistle fell out in the process it wasn't in my zipper I've had them get ripped off my PFD so I usually would keep a whistle like right inside my PFD but not in the zipper you know I didn't have it tied on, tied in inside the pocket hindsight's 2020 that's what I do now I I just got desperate and I pounded it into the wall and I hooked it on myself and it worked and I was able to get the elasticity out of my arms and my legs somewhat enough that I could try to make a, a decision, you know, I mean, it was like an hour and a half or so in the water. It was getting closer to dark at this point. Sun was starting to really set, you know, it was just twilight hour. I uh, realized while hanging on to this tether that I needed to get back into the back corner if I was going to get out of the water and there was like maybe like a six square feet, seven, eight square feet area of water boiling straight up. It wasn't rapidly releasing back towards the, the main veil or coming up from the hydraulic of the new veil that was creating the cave space I was in. So I just knew that I needed to be in that back corner where the water was boiling straight up so that I wouldn't keep having to go through the the conveyor belt washing machine and hope to get lucky and not go under the undercut again because that had been my reality and I was done with it and uh, I was able to uh, finally after five or six or more attempts of swimming into the very corner of the new veil where it meets the undercut I was able to twist my arms and try to plug as deep as I could it was literally my objective and goal on the hopes that I would come up on that boil that was coming straight up in that back corner in that small triangular area and after five or six tries and you know a couple of the tries in between I would get on my tether that was still banged into the wall and try to get more energy out before I try again and I just did the thing until it, it worked and I swam like hell when I came up on the boil and I barely made it in that back corner and I was able to chimney myself up between two rocks in the very, very back of the corner. And I stayed there for maybe 20 minutes, just kind of catching my breath. 
I was probably sweating, you know. I wasn't wearing many clothes, but I was probably sweating. It was so intense, and I just kind of like was breathing and finally able to rest, even though I was still having to push with one leg to chimney myself in and rotate that leg in and out. And then I, the water started to come up, and it's getting closer and closer to dark at this point. We're almost like really at sunset, and uh, the water is getting higher actively. I'm noticing the veil in front of me, this new veil that I've been swimming into was getting more and more full. Uh, it was more and more brown, and I had water coming through the crack behind me, so chimneying in the spot I was at really wasn't becoming viable anymore. And so I just kind of felt around, and there was a little ledge, but I stood on that ledge a foot in front of the other because it was too slick and not wide enough for two feet beside each other. I, I, I stood there and fought hypothermia for like five hours, you know. While Sam gets himself cornered up in the back pocket of the cave behind the ever-growing waterfall, Felicia is still on-site engaging every possibility that she can to find this missing kayaker. Short time later, a Fayette County officer arrives and realized, you know, it was a serious situation. We kind of feared that, that there would be a body still in the kayak that maybe he, you know, had hit his head or something. About that time, there was a, a fishing boat coming in. So my boyfriend uh, runs down to the boat and says, hey, can you take me over to that kayak, you know, and explains to him what, what had happened. So um, my boyfriend and this guy uh, goes and retrieves the kayak. There's no one in the kayak, brings the kayak back. The guys, the guy that did the drone video provided me with the details. I called him back and he sent me the video footage that he had taken. And he had also zoomed in so we could see the, a picture of the kayaker. So at this point, we're just kind of um, walking the river's edge, looking for a body to tell you the truth. Um, the police officer's there. He radios for help. I mean, he realizes, you know, that it's kind of a very, very bad situation here. So e EMT started arriving. Because of Brandon's drone footage and because Felicia is there being persistent about getting some official help out to Kanawha Falls, the local search and rescue crew arrives. They put a motorboat in the water and use a spotlight to look at the cliffs and falls in several spots searching for Sam. They are below the falls, so they are at water level, surrounded by the massive thunder of the falls. And these guys in the motorboats are getting as close as they safely can without getting sucked into the boils. They spotlight many places across the quarter-mile-wide river to include Sam's little ledge. He sees them in the boat doing their work. I didn't think it was ever going to be that long. I got on the ledge and thought it was good, and then I saw lights and floodlights. And at first I thought maybe they were lights that were coming off the dam behind me and then I realized that's got to be search and rescue. And then I saw the boat and I just watched as they like never really, they went up in this other cove and they checked all the falls and drops up in the other cove. And they just like never really looked in the right places as far as the geology and stuff here. I don't know. I watched them look and they drove around in their boat with their spotlight. And just kind of hung out, especially the last bit they looked, they just kind of were 
on the water, just shining the spotlight around. They weren't really actively looking, and they then left. And that is, without a doubt, the lowest feeling I've ever felt in my life. I've had some other comparable losses, feelings of loss and, like, hurt, but I'd already fought so hard to get to where I was at, to be alive in that moment for them to... To, to, to get to me, to have the chance to be able to save me and not recover a body. And they, they just never looked in the right place and they left and I, I was screaming so loud that I didn't have my whistle, but even if I'd had my whistle, I don't think they ever got close enough to have heard it with how wild the water was, you know, which I'm glad they didn't try anything dumb because that undercut and the hydraulics and the boils were no joke that night and they could have created more victims so it's really good that they didn't do that but you could have walked right up to the rock you and me are sitting on right now you know and and they just didn't have the the intuition or the training or the know-how of their local spot within their jurisdiction I, I don't know what you chalk it up to but in a way it's those guys fault but in a way it's not it's the system's fault and those guys it's not on them I don't want to hold them responsible my stepdad's a fire chief you know I see a lot of what those guys do, and it's not pretty. They left me, and that's when I realized, like, all right, you can't make the swim again in the morning without energy. You've got these cliff bar. I had a lair bar and a cliff bar, and it was like, you need to eat half of each one of these, like, every couple hours till dawn, and try to space yourself out till another rescue party comes back. And hopefully the water's lower. And I'm also thinking in my head, the water will be lower, the golly bubble will be out. I didn't know that the New River had gotten rain in Blowing Rock two and a half days before and that that water was also in there, creating the bubble rise. So I'm thinking the water will be low enough in the morning I might be able to navigate myself out of this. Since Search and Rescue has just left me. <laughs> right? Because I'm thinking they might not even come back and look in the morning. I don't know. So I... I just kind of hunkered in and then I was realizing I was getting cold and that best as I could with my internal clock, you know, I was trying to like monitor my heart rate based off of like 10 second reads, multiply it by six so I could have like a where am I at? Okay, probably getting a little hypothermic. I need to fight to keep this up right now. I would bounce in place. I was trying to do, you know, squat if I could and come back up. I would yell. At one point I stood and was so tired. my legs locked up i was standing with my knees locked because it was easier and my legs were so shot and i like nearly passed out from the loss of blood to my head and like fell and almost fell back in there and barely caught myself and that's when i started screaming a lot you know and sorry for the profanity but i was screaming i'm not gonna fucking die here Earlier in the night, it was, I'm about to die here. You're going to die here if you don't do, you're, you are going to die here if you don't do something differently right now. And I was at such a desperate point later in the night, it was, uh, I'm not going to fucking die here. And I was screaming it, popping my helmet against the wall, just like doing whatever I could to like try to get me up and going and back in the game, you know. Um, and that was horrible. And... You know, I did a lot of praying in the eddy when I was swimming. I hit desperate enough points that I was praying for my 
self to get out of there and to be okay. And uh, it just hit a point of desperation where I stopped praying for myself and the situation and I started praying more so for my my family and my friends because I really didn't think I was going to get out of there like I really didn't at all think I was going to get out of there like I was praying for my mama not to hate the river and to try to understand my love for it and I was praying for my friends to not hold themselves responsible and to have understanding as to why I was out here by myself. The dispatcher had, had said that there's a campground about a mile upstream. And she said that perhaps a kayak, you know, just got loose from the campground. So I belong to this uh, Facebook group called Kayak West Virginia. So I thought, well, if someone's looking for a kayak, how are they going to find it? So I made a post on that Kayak West Virginia group that just said, hey, if you're looking for this red kayak, it's here at Canal Falls. Uh, people kind of started responding like, hey, how about call 911? You know, and some people were asking me how long it had been there. One person who saw the Facebook post that Felicia made took particular notice of the post and the situation. His name is Corey Lilly. Corey did not know Sam, but he knew Kanawha Falls. I sat down with Corey Lilly next to a waterfall in West Virginia where he tells me about seeing that Facebook post and his part of the story. And that original Facebook post that Felicia put up about Sam's red kayak, to this day that post is still live. You can see it, and today's show notes is a direct link to it. Here is Corey Lilly. Yeah, my name is Corey Lilly. I'm from southern West Virginia. My family has been here for a long time, and I've lived here pretty much my whole life. I've always based out of here. When I heard that search was being called off, this was about like 10.30 at night, I got up, I was laying in bed, and I had this just burning feeling of intuition and restlessness that I had to act. You know, you hear, especially in a whitewater accident, whitewater accidents, usually something, it's resolved within the first five minutes, and if not, it's usually a body recovery. When I was talking to people about it, about if I should go down there, they're like, oh, it's going to be a body recovery. You know, it's safer to wait till the morning. There's no reason to go down tonight. I, I just didn't resonate with that, and I got up out of bed, called Stephen Wright, who was parked across the street from me, pulled one of my other roommates, like kind of got him, guilt-tripped him into coming, and then the three of us drove down. And Canal Falls is about a 30-minute drive from Fayetteville. And I thought, based off where I saw photos of where this kayak was, that I knew where Sam could be because I've rescued people out of the same spot. Corey has a special relationship with Kanawha Falls. Up until 2017, public access to Kanawha Falls was not allowed. The falls are on private property, property owned by a dam company. Corey worked at length communicating with this company to gain access for the public to the falls. He was successful, and now kayakers enjoy running the falls with open access. 
Corey knows these falls extremely well. And while Corey did not make this claim, other folks I talked with consider Corey to be one of the best paddlers in West Virginia. And West Virginia hosts a lot of incredible rivers and incredible paddlers. Corey continues his story of arriving at the exact right spot to go find Sam in the late night. So we went directly to that spot, and as we rolled up, it was probably 11, 11.30-ish, and we put a light on the waterfall, and the bubble of the Golly River that was being released had made it to Canal Falls, and it was much higher than what it typically is when people think of Canal Falls. So this eddy, you can usually see directly down into it. Well, right now it was behind the veil of a waterfall. That's where he was. We didn't exactly know that, but when we put the flashlight up on the veil, it illuminated the waterfall which he could see that light so he started screaming and we could hear him apparently he couldn't hear us and this is one of the most wild experiences that I've ever had is when we walked up on the scene and we put the flashlight up and he started yelling his voice projected such an energy it was just like hit us all like it was like a train just hit us and it was just like wow this person's still alive and that feeling I'll never forget it it was it's very powerful he was he was projecting a lot towards us to that he needed some help and it was it was super desperate it was super desperate I hit a point where it was I didn't think I was getting out of there and then I saw a light and I didn't even think it was real and then it moved like it shook and it moved and I was like man like that light that is a real light and it came like right as I was getting ready to open my first cliff bar and eat half of it but, but yeah I Oh man, I've never been so happy. I sighed. I can't imagine how much I screamed. Because uh, I just kind of realized like I wasn't necessarily for sure going to die in there and that it wasn't up to me to not to. It still was on me down there. It was still just as horrible. But I had like a literal light at the end of the tunnel. You know, it was a difficult spot on where we how to get him out because it's this huge veil we didn't know where he was behind the veil um but out in the center of the river there was a break in the veil of the waterfall and i knew if i could get to that break in the waterfall i could probably look back to see where he was and so i put on a headlamp got in my boat ran the falls dropped the falls right into this like really nasty eddy that was being sucked into the veil to look back in that break of the veil and realize like he's back in that corner. So we kind of knew generally where he was. So we narrowed that down. I was confident in my skills, but damn, was I nervous? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm nervous <laughs> listening to it. But at some point in this whole process, Corey Lilly runs the thing in the dark with the headlamp on and I was screaming no, no, like, do not try to paddle in here because I just knew what the result was, like, no matter how good of a paddler you are. And I didn't know it's Corey at this point in time, right? Like, I just see a kayaker run it. 
so at that point I at least know that like somebody kayaking is working with search and rescue or at least I think that's happening so we narrowed that down came back up on the, the shelf that was next to the waterfall and then um, we knew that we weren't going to be able to get him out with based on the people that we had there and the, just the man strength so we called more people to come down and more people rallied down Jack's Plastic Welding has been hand-building boats, Paco pads, and dry bags in the United States since last century. Jack's Plastic has several boats on extra-large discount. These boats are seconds with small blemishes. They have whitewater cat tubes, expedition cat tubes, and a small raft for one person that can get down about 200 CFS. Prices do not include shipping. There is a link in today's show notes taking you direct to these boats. You can also click on Discounted on their homepage and see the boats. You can find them on the web at www.jpwinc.com. Tell them the River Radius sent you. Nissan has been building fully electric vehicles for 12 years and has over 5 billion miles on this fleet as a testament to their efficacy. That is billion with a B. Nissan has two electric vehicles to choose from. That is the Leaf and the new Aria. Both of these electric vehicles can handle most day runs on the river, You can put your friends in the car with you. You can have your boats loaded on the roof or in the hatch. You can throw a bike on a bike rack and run your own shuttle. The Nissan LEAF for 2022 has a range between 150 and 225 miles. This is a smaller car with four doors and a hatchback. You can easily add a roof rack system. You can also fold the seats down for inside cargo space. The second vehicle from Nissan is the new Aria. This will be available in the fall of 2022 and you can reserve this car now. This is a slick-looking four-door SUV, has lots of comfortable features and a range up to 300 miles, and they even have an all-wheel drive model. Again, you can reserve that Nissan Aria now. Check out your Denver-area Nissan dealers in person and online at www.nissanusa.com. Tell them the River Radius podcast sent you. One of the boating crews that rallied was actually friends with Sam, This was a crew of five guys who went to the falls. I was able to talk with Joel Winblad, who was one of those five guys. Joel and his friends were on the way to sleep after a big day of running the Gauley River. Here is his story. My name is Joel Winblad. I live in Golden, Colorado. I've been back east on like a little short little tour, a little boating in Arkansas, a little more in Tennessee, northwest Virginia. The main thing that I recall from from being there that night uh just being really tired you know in the best way exhausted from from such an amazing day and and half of us asleep and half of us nearly asleep and uh things about that time we were getting this call around 11 and that is when we learn that Sam Davis is uh potentially stuck you know under the falls there and um people are trying to trying to help him Aaron and Sam they I don't know how far back they go but they go a good ways back and uh you know I know Aaron really really cares about Sam and so it's an emotional call to get and I can tell right away that this call means a lot to him and um this is also kind of serendipitously normally we would have had way too many beers to drive down there, maybe even too many to assist. And 
uh, we realized that we could leave pretty much immediately. I've got two little rafts in the back of my truck, a couple little mini maxes, little 10 foot rafts. They're, they're blown up. My throw bags are strapped in them. You know, they're, they're fresh off the river. I know all my gear is un underneath them somewhere. So we load up three guys in one truck and two guys in another truck. I think that's it's around a, a 30, 35 minute drive. There is a layer of interpretation of this entire rescue from many folks involved that the search and rescue team that was on site did not engage enough and that they were operating with more of a body recovery mindset and not a mindset of rescuing an alive person. I heard that either directly or indirectly from each person who interacted with search and rescue. The only other vehicles I remember seeing actually were search and rescue vehicles, some uh, leaving the scene and when we get to the parking lot, that is also a lot to take in. Um, police and an ambulance, a fire trucks, and search and rescue. It's, it's a whole scene. There's lights. Th those guys are also tired and confused. It's nighttime. You know, by the time we get there, it's somewhere probably 1130 midnight. My perception of what is going on is it's kind of a dismissive attitude from the search and rescue group towards the group of us who've just driven down there in the middle of the night spontaneously to, to maybe or maybe not be able to do something about this situation. And Sam, you know, um, has been in the water supposedly for like four to six hours at this point, you know, so it's just kind of hard to make heads or tails of of what is going on when we get there. There's the kayakers who are, you know, looking for help. There's the search and rescue guys who are looking to go home for the night. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't want to, it wasn't like confrontational, but it was dismissive. I think was the best word I could use. And in their defense, I would say, you know, I don't really blame them. We were in like gym shorts and some of us had shirts on. Some of us didn't, I didn't have shoes on, you know, it's, Midnight, I'm sure we looked all kinds of um, befuddled. So I don't, I don't, you know, I kind of, I get their skepticism that we're going to do any good over there. But we, we quickly kind of realized that the, if we're going to do anything, we need to stop this unproductive conversation and just get our shit and get in the water. And that kind of is like our mantra um, as we get the boats to the water. While all of my interviews with the people who were on site when search and rescue was at Kanawha Falls had a similar tone of feeling that the authorities weren't engaging enough, each interview person also expressed respect and gratitude for the work that was done by search and rescue and other crews. It's hard to decipher that part of the story that has so many mitigating factors. Time of night, exhaustion, lack of clear information, no formal expert, a river with high flow, emotional strain, and mental interpretations of the situations and various people involved. Joel and his crew recognize that they need to get to the falls and do what they know how to do, run rivers and perform rescues. They now know Sam is alive and where he is. We're just like, just get in the water, get in the water, get in the water. Just Do we have throwbacks? Yes. We have carabiners? Yes. We have pulleys? Yes. You know, we had a couple flashlights. Uh, let's go. At this point, I, you know, there's Corey and Steven, those guys are like, we we ran the falls. We heard him screaming. We know he's there. We're dragging boats in the water and, and launching. And pretty flat, so it's an easy paddle. This particular weekend, too, it's it's a lot of water, man. It is The falls are loud. It, it's high water to some degree. 
Um, it had rain and it's pitch dark. It's it's thundering loud from the falls and we make it out to these rock islands um, that are just below the falls of the kayakers, Corey and um, Stephen, those guys kind of leading us out to where they found him. And you're on a pretty massive rock. So there's room for a dozen guys to get up there and do shit. And, you know, thank goodness with we, we, the experience level is ultra high on the rock with those kayakers and with the guys that I'm down there with, Aaron and Ben and Jake, uh, Frenchie is what we call Michael. These are guys who are on the water a lot. The people that came together there, we had a perfect mix of people who are, their mantra is, watch your step, take it slow, don't create another victim, let's do this right the first time. And then there's also another kind of voice in, in the group that's like, let's get this fucking show on the road, man. Like, let's go. Are you hearing this guy? We got to go. And I feel like we needed both those things. It took them a few hours to, to get me out of there, you know, and to like mitigate the situation. There was so much water up here that they didn't have, you know, they didn't have the stuff to anchor to that you would at this flow. They were trying to come up with like a really solid Z-drag system and something that was not going to fail in the process of trying to rescue. They were doing it properly, but I was getting pretty desperate and I was very cold. I could barely stand up. My legs were trembling so bad because I'd just been standing for hours. And when I was fighting the hypothermia, I'd pulled my skirt up around my core and like tucked my arms in and under my armpits and, and tightened my PFD higher up so that it would be more like around that part of my core there. Just doing everything I could to try to like measure my heartbeat, mitigate my core, get my body movement moving. I'm, I'm standing in cold water and the water temp was only like 66 degrees or so that night. I wanted so badly to be able to have stability or an anchor and just sit in the water. Because if I could have submerged in the water, I would have been much warmer. The air temp was like 42 degrees at a low that night. It would have been nice at a point to have been back in the water. <laughs> there was no safe way to do that and so I didn't and I was just having to fight hypothermia hypothermia while actively getting splashed on in like 42 degree weather which was really shitty because I had no shoes or socks on and I was in shorts at least I was wearing a synthetic long sleeve t-shirt <laughs> so we're on the rock there's a dozen maybe a couple more guys we've got a spotter slash talker We've got a, a guy lurched over our rock that we're on adjacent to the falls, and he, he's laid over the side. Uh, and then we've got Aaron Erdrich, who's just, uh, like a oak tree of a man holding that guy. And so those two guys, are their job is to fetch Sam when we get him close enough. we got a flashlight guy, and uh, we still got a team of eight or ten guys yarding on this rope. And we've got Sam on the end of the line. I finally was just like, I'm going to die down here. Like, I am going to die, you know, and I'm screaming it. And uh, they stopped trying to make a system. They realized it was go time and that they had enough people over here. The first thing we need to do is get this weighted bag under the curtain. And it takes a couple tries. I, I really do think by the second or third try, it's under there to Sam. And that is a minor miracle right there. Because again, this is all, just a lot of water, man. 
And finally, they just threw me a rope through the bale. And uh, I had twisted my strap through and intentionally gotten it stuck and tried it myself before I clipped in. I've got a rescue belt on my PFD. It won't quick release like it's supposed to for a rescue scenario. They teach you in Swiftwater, they're supposed to, never to let it get too twisted because then it won't quick release properly when you need it to. And so that was kind of what I did of like, like it's not, it's not coming off. And if it did come undone, it's got to twist through the mechanism, you know. They teach you not to do that because if you needed to quick release, you couldn't in a river scenario. But I hooked it up that way so that I wouldn't fall back in there as they pulled me out. I finally got a hold of it after about the third try and hooked in and they were so, I gave them the yank, yank, pull me up. So we get them hooked on pretty quick. Those local guys, you know, they know roughly the situation he's in under there. People are aware of this little cave behind the curtain with a crevice in the back and he could be wedged in there. We don't know how far back he is. So so all we know is we feel him take the line and tug and we we can feel he's hooked on there and that's about all we know. All we have to do is get him up to us. And that is um, just way harder than I would have anticipated. And so they pulled me up and there's a crack where the undercut meets the overhanging rock that created the new waterfall and the rope slipped back into it and they didn't realize. So they're pulling me into the roof and they like racked me into the roof because the crack was going through the roof. Like the rope was going through the crack in the roof where it had slipped back from the front. So I yelled, give me some slack. And they gave me some slack and I swung over to the side and I pinched on the rock. But you can tell pretty quick that it's just like something's not right. Either he's wedged in or the angle is wrong. Something's wrong, but just like nothing is given. So pretty quick the carabiner comes off and we pull it out without Sam on it when that carabiner comes out it's pretty disheartening um but but we hear him holler again you know and he's just intermittently screaming for his life but we get it back to him and he hooks it on um but this time when we're pulling on him it's totally feels totally different and then they started to pull up and at that point I just started desperately clawing and scrambling up the rock and I pulled my own fingertips off on most of my fingers because they were so cold and pruney from being in the water for so long. Then when I gripped this West Virginia sandstone trying to pull up out of here, I just like pulled my fingertips off. And then they gave one last heave. It was kind of unnecessary, but also righteous because they were so fired up. And they pulled me like five feet unnecessarily from the lip over onto this rock where it kind of slapped onto the rock like a big wet fish. And uh, we get him out from under the curtain there and can pull them across up just a little bit slack. And, and another thing that is an impactful memory. And now this will change the way you boat, man. When I say impactful memory, this shit, when you see a grown man like this, it will change your life. Soggy, blue, his skin was pruned and like mushy. He was grayish blue and and he was alive you could tell you could tell he's alive but man he was in a state of shock and hypothermia and exhaustion that uh that i will never forget you know and i'm sure he won't eat i'm sure nobody up there will um it's it's jarring i guess you know it's uh i guess <laughs> it was uh 
it's like a rescue, not a recovery or super stoked. But, but, uh, once Sam gets up on the rock, you're like, holy shit, you know, it's really, there's a lot of gravity all of a sudden it's powerful to what he just went through to survive. Um, and getting researched at high water on that particular rapid at like dusk, um, I can tell you that's scary, bro. That could be a horror movie getting researched in the night there. So just, just really, I think there's a lot of emotion on the rock um, that we got him. I know Aaron is, is consoling Sam. And I just remember laying down and crying and saying, I'm alive. I'm not going to die tonight. And I was just weeping and just trying to hug the ground. And just like was so happy to be on like terra firma, you know, like solid ground. And um, I remember my buddy Aaron laying down beside me and putting a puffy jacket around me and telling me, I thought it was search and rescue that was there at that point. I didn't know it was a group of my friends and other people from the community. And so I just heard him like in my ear, like, it's me, you're okay, it's us. And they were putting their hands around my neck trying to get me out of hypothermia and they were hugging me on the rock uh, and then I got up and uh, they were all just like really worked up and there were all these questions and everything's just firing in every direction and I was like y'all can we talk about it over there I'm cold and everybody just kind of laughed and then, I didn't have shoes so Aaron and Ben literally picked me up and carried me down to the boat and took me back to the parking lot where there were like so many people. I don't even know. There were like fire trucks and ambulances and all these people. And they all wanted to step up and help. And I saw my friend Albert. And Albert ran up and he had my mom on the phone. You know, and at that point I thought like I was so far just gone with everything. I see the stretcher and I'm like, I'm not going to the hospital in an ambulance. And they're like, well, at least let us check you out in the ambulance before you make that decision. And I was like, all right, but I'm not using your stretcher. And I walked up to the ambulance barefoot. Those guys in the ambulance ended up being like total Gs. They were awesome. He was like, man, we got the call about you missing. Everybody thought you were dead like four hours ago, man. And then we rode to Charleston and they wanted to do x-rays for dry drowning. And hypothermia you know they just put me in a bunch of blankets with heat packs and under the arms and then other more sensitive areas to warm me up and sam spends the night alone in the hospital as this was during covid and he was not allowed visitors the next day he reunites with his parents and he sees a lot of the rescue crew and eventually he gets on with his life with time sam recovers physically i was curious about how this experience impacted sam in his life he told me he went kayaking about a week after his rescue because he knew he simply had to get back on the water sooner than later. And that made sense to me. But I also wanted to know about his life, his off-the-river life after this experience. This is what he told me. Oh, man, I really just, like, did not do a good job there for the first six months to a year. I doubled down on working all the time. You know, it was coming off of COVID in 2020, so... I hadn't had a lot of work opportunities with production because everything was shut down and it came back and it was an easy opportunity to lose myself in the art of busy. I convinced myself that like being busy 
equal to being okay because I was doing something positive in momentum, right? But it just kind of bottlenecks up until it's gotta it's gotta come through. It's gotta burst out, and it just started to affect other parts of my life, uh, personally, health-wise, just different things of like, okay, I need to go talk to a professional. I need to go seek the right kind of therapy. And I did some some therapy that they use for soldiers with PTSD, EMDR therapy. Um, and that was incredibly helpful. Um, it was really uncomfortable, but it was definitely very, very, very helpful. I, I, I'm ashamed it took me as long to reach out for that help as it did, but just kind of lost myself and staying busy and drinking with friends, using substances just to kind of numb, you know? And it hits a point where it's like, there's no numb that's numb enough and it'll come out in other places. So you just gotta deal with it. I had somebody, I had a paddling friend who's a therapist that referred me to what I needed, but she was like, you know, like trauma's like standing knees deep in like a muddy bog. Like you can stand there and look strong and that's brave and that's poetic, but you're eventually gonna just continue to sink in place. You know, and it's too hard to just like pick your legs up and post hole out. You can't get out of it. It's too boggy, it's too thick. So you try to just be strong and stand in place, but you know, you've got to like get on your stomach, on your hands and your knees. You got to barely have your face above the water. It's, it's, it feels intense, the mud, but you can crawl out that way and get to the other side where you can get up and walk away from it. And that analogy was just kind of like when it clicked in my head of like, okay, like, that's exactly what I've been doing. And somebody that's a professional just told me exactly what I've been doing and I need to get some help for this. So, so the next step then is you, you gain professional psychotherapy kind of, kind of support? Yeah, just for all the way around, not just for this event, but just for all the way around with my life and the things that were kind of unraveling. But it all kind of led back to this and this accident, not dealing with the trauma of this accident. It was affecting how I was doing all my decision making and how I was living my life, you know. And uh, that, yeah, that first six months to a year, I mean, I kayaked a lot, but it was a kind of a pity party. And that's good. That's been that's that's helped. Oh, dude, a ton. It helped a ton. It's not something I feel like I regularly have to do. I'll book a therapy session if I feel like I need it or I've got a lot going on, but I'm not having flashbacks every day or multiple times a day to some aspect of this accident it's like really interesting it's like it never comes up on the river like i've never once had it come up like i've done wilderness class five since the accident overnight you know it's scary intense stuff fun stuff beautiful stuff easy stuff hard stuff i've done a lot of whitewater since then and it never ever ever comes up on the water but i have found that smells trigger more than anything but it's not always just smells, but it's interesting. It's like different things trigger different trauma from the accident. You know, some parts of it, it's like a, I'm sitting there shivering in 42 degree weather, already knowing I've been abandoned, trying to decide when I'm gonna eat a cliff bar out of my pocket to try to make it till morning. But something else will trigger me being underneath that wall and not being able to come out and keep thinking I'm coming out and I roof out. Like I very distinctly remember putting my face in my hands after I roofed out that last time and just like literally thinking this is it. 
Like, I, I thought I was going to die under the wall, and that was like the first minute of a seven-hour ordeal. It's sparse, it's here, it's there, but it's not once or multiple times a day where I was just having that happen and thought I was being tough by just like, well, that's normal, you're going to have that and you'll get over it. I, I needed the tools and the professional help to help me wade through that and get past it. Because you can be tough, but it definitely is a whole lot better when you don't have to be tough because you're not flashing back multiple times a day. Yeah, I mean, the professional help, it's, it's what I needed. I want to come back to Corey Lilly. He is the guy who knows Kanawha Falls better than anyone. He didn't know Sam at all. It's hard to say how things would have been different if any of these people involved hadn't shown up. But Corey is the only one who understood the one-third of a mile cliff band making the waterfalls to know in his mind, laying in bed, exactly where Sam was stuck on a little ledge behind the veil of a particular waterfall. No one else knew this little hidey hole where Sam was clinging to his life. Sam expressed to me ongoing respect for Corey's engagement in the story, and I wanted to hear a bit more from Corey about what pulled him out of bed that night. So here's what I heard from Sam about you. He said all these other people knew him, but he said Corey's different because he didn't know me. He just came and he made it happen for someone he didn't even know. Does that register with you? That you didn't you didn't know him? You felt the intuition. What was the drive for you to go run a waterfall at night under some unique conditions and make sure this guy is taken care of? Yeah, man, I um I still struggle with this uh because I don't really know why. Um, I was so driven to go down there, uh, that night and I still, you know, have this like guilt that I even entertained not going down that night. And yeah, I had no idea who he was. Um, but I figured out who he was by calling around and just being diligent about, this like being diligent about addressing a feeling of intuition that was really burning like you know this is the deal everything everyone in life has opportunities that arise in front of them and your your spirit and mind can calculate split second decisions that are based on your intuition and you can you can follow that feeling and let your calculated mind catch up to that feeling of intuition which that's what I that's what kind of took place where I was feeling this burning feeling of intuition didn't know why and I just started calling around I just was acting on it I like my basically my conscious self had to catch up with my subconscious self to then come together to be like, all right, we're going to go down there. I think I know exactly where he is. And then there he was, you know? So it was, yeah, like I still don't know why that like feeling of intuition was so powerful. There's part of me that wants to suggest that it's like (laughs) nothing to suggest about the intuition in your subconscious conscious relations, but the action of one kayaker to another, the, the support, of, of running safety for someone you don't know. But it feels to me like it's beyond the kayaking realm. It's, it's 
it's it's it's all the way out into the human realm that it's just this man needed help and you were a man who could go help does it does it to to you does it transcend the kayak community and land in the bigger human community yeah it was this person that i felt like i had such a you know canal falls i have this history with canal falls where you know we helped get access to it we I put on this festival there i've shown like countless people around that those falls and the hazards and what's there so i felt like i, I was one of the people that had a knowledge that others didn't and it needed to be used in order to save a life and so I was like this is the time that like I need to step up because what is knowledge if you don't use it like so I knew that those search and rescue crew they didn't I mean they get maybe one swift water rescue class every few years they don't paddle you know so to know it's not their fault they couldn't really know what to do but I felt like I knew what to do and I knew that I knew those falls better than anyone and that if anyone was to do anything it had to be me if you know if no one you know I was the person that needed to do something is basically how I felt like anything else about the story you think we need to talk about needs to be heard I'm sure when you get to talk to Sam, you'll hear his part of it, but I mean, the only thing that I did was follow a feeling of intuition and motivate people and run the falls. Sam saved his life and has, you know, he's the, he is the hero of the story. If you are wondering, Sam does not really solo boat anymore. He said he will go paddle flat water on a lake solo, but he goes on rivers with other people. Here is Sam one last time closing out. We've talked about a lot of things today, and I feel like I'm good. Is there anything else you feel like you want to add into the story today, this conversation? Oh, man, just shout out the beautiful Whitewater community and all of those guys, man, the Corey Lillies and Irish Pauls and Stephen Wrights and the Albert Binkley's and the guy that took the drone video so they could compare the video to my boat to know where to start looking and none of it works without anybody's role that they played in it, you know, and I'm forever thankful. Yeah. Corey Lilly, what a community, community player, you know, he didn't know me. He just knew the area and the community and he felt like he could help. And he didn't stay on the couch in his pajamas that night. Thank God. Cause he told me he almost did. He said when he got back home, that was the part that he like struggled with the most. Felicia Coiner is my guardian angel, and she lives in West Virginia. And she doesn't paddle whitewater, but I love her to death. And I keep the Bible she gave me on my dashboard in my truck at all times. Yeah, man. Every one of those people played their role and played it how they needed to be and where they needed to be. And Sam, thanks for telling your story. I really appreciate I really appreciate the story and the trust to convey it to the audience. Yeah, man, thank you, and thanks for hanging out on this rock all day. All right, I'm Thank off. you, Sam. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Sam. 
A Kanaf all size thank you goes out to Sam Davis for telling this story to the River Radius and to all of today's guests for trusting me with their story and taking the time for calls and interviews. And a very special thank you goes out to two people, Amy Keel and Ryan Arsenal. These two folks made this story happen with intuition, introductions, and getting me to the falls for the interviews and hanging with me all day. Thank you, both of you. Today's advertising sponsors are Jack's Plastic Welding and the Denver and Front Range of Colorado Nissan dealerships. You can find web and Instagram links for both of these sponsors in the show notes. In today's show notes, you can also find so many links to various information about the episode. Our social media instigator is Sam Sice. Today's music is composed and performed by Gene Reiniger. This closes out the 2022 River Radius podcast season. It has been an incredible year for us here at the podcast, and we hope it has been the same for you as the listener. We will be here all of 2023, starting very soon, with more real stories at the cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. Thank you each for being here this year. You are everything about this podcast. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining The River Radius. If you want to pay me 16 hours for a mayonnaise commercial, I'm your guy. I'm not going to fucking die here. I was screaming it. And then we've got Aaron Erdrich, who's just uh, like a oak tree of a man. And then they gave one last heave. It was kind of unnecessary, but also righteous because they were so fired up. And they pulled me like five feet unnecessarily from the lip over onto this rock where I kind of slapped onto the rock like a big wet fish. You know, certainly will never doubt Sam's will to survive. So I'm just like crying in this room with a heat pack on my balls, wondering if I'm like actually alive or not.